Boy, I'd just like to jump on force back here, man. Uh, we don't know how lucky we are to have you. Uh, there, there are very few liberal voices worth listening to. You are one of them, and for you to be in Las Vegas is, uh, is tremendous for us. And one other thing, Force said he's going to uh, ask his union brothers to, to support you. Where the hell are the politicians, you know? Uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, Jackie Rosen, Dina Titus, Steve Horsford, you have no greater advocate to support you and your cause than Doug Basham. Why the hell aren't you writing this man a check to help him uh, uh, produce this great radio show? I just don't get it. If you spend the money on a 15-second commercial on radio or TV, it's gone. It just vaporizes into the ether. Give it to Doug, and you've got 15 months to cover. 100% fact. I'm back, bitches! What if you knew Fox News was just lying to you? How could you watch when you know? He was voted Variety Entertainer of the Year at the Excellence in the Arts Awards and is one of the highest arbitrage now Nielsen-rated talk radio hosts in Las Vegas. He is also a refreshing voice of logic and reason. Live from the entertainment capital of the world, Doug Basham. I know words, I have the best words. I love the poorly educated. Right under the toilet. And good morning, my fellow wokes and Republican jokes. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Doug Basham, and welcome to the Doug Basham Show right here on KSHP in Las Vegas and on social media and to a genuine demonstration of excellence in broadcasting. The website is DougBasham.com, last name spelled B as in Bob, A-S-H-A-M as in Mary, DougBasham.com, my email, Doug at DougBasham.com. If you are new to this show, here's all you need to know. My website is just one page. That's it. On it, you will find links to everything associated with this show, including links to all my social media sites on which we broadcast this show live. But here's all you need to do. Click on the YouTube icon. Once there, click on the subscribe link, of course. Then click on the link that says live, whereupon you can watch the show live or you can view the archive shows. 221-7283 is our call-in number here at the station, folks. If you would like to talk on the radio later in our second half hour, that's 702-221-SAVE, as in Save Our Democracy, which is our ultimate and only goal 
in each and every show we do. For the love of God, lock him up. Quick update on the UAW strike. It was reported last night that the United Auto Workers have reached a tentative agreement with Ford, which is being called a breakthrough that could signal an end to the strike against the automaker and create a path for the rest of the big three to come to terms with the union. Here's UAW President Sean Fain. I'm excited and honored to be joined today by Vice President Chuck Browning as we announce a major victory in the stand-up strike. Today, we reached a tentative agreement with Ford. For months, we've said that record profits mean record contracts. And UAW family, our stand-up strike has delivered. What started at three plants at midnight on September 15th has become a national movement. On day 40 of the stand-up strike, we reached a historic agreement. Congratulations, my union brothers and sisters, on your impending victory. Well done. Well done indeed. Live long and prosper. And so, given what happened in Lewiston, Maine yesterday, it is time once again to address the far too many instances of this country being treated to heart-wrenching demonstrations of Second Amendment freedoms. And folks, I have been on the air for a goodly number of years, and I have covered my fair share of mass shootings. The one that got to me the most was the 2010 shooting at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, where in 20 children, children six and seven years old, children had their little bodies literally ripped apart to shreds by 20-year-old Adam Lanza and his trusty Bushmaster XM-15E2S, more commonly known as an AR-15, also commonly known as a weapon of war or an assault rifle. And was, when nothing was done to honor those precious little children who had their lives ripped from them before they even got started, and other mass shootings that followed with no response, I was even more furious and frustrated than usual after having done so many shows on mass shootings and repeating the same truths over and over again, only to never see them bear any fruit. And shame on us for the pathetic position in which we now find ourselves as it pertains to the insane gun culture in this country. But you know, I've always thought if there's a chance you can change even one person's mind, you have to try. And so once again, we will try and hopefully change at least one mind in the process. And I would like to think that this will be the most comprehensive dissertation on the demented gun culture in this country you have heard to date. And it's not because I'm a rocket scientist. It's because I do more research for a radio show than I would venture to say any other host in this country. And I'm going to end this dissertation with something you've not heard anywhere else unless you heard it on this show or my other show back on another station. It's a musical compilation. It's what I call one of my many Basham Radio Masterpieces. 
So now that I've made a bold prediction, let me stand and deliver while some of you stand back and stand by. People on the right like to play silly semantics games and say, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. You know, even though in the 30-odd years the disgusting Limbaugh aberration poisoned and stained the radio airwaves, not one of them ever called them and chastised him for calling himself the doctor of democracy. Silly semantics games like that are merely a distraction utilized by cowards or imbeciles who lack the mental acuity to debate an issue intelligently. Something else the right likes to say, a democracy is mob rule, it's tyranny. Do we want thousands of people in California deciding what our laws are? To which I always respond, no, I'd rather have 17 people in Wyoming make those decisions. When those on the right disparage what they call tyranny of the mob or mob rule, what they're really advocating but never verbalize and maybe don't even understand is what they're actually championing and promoting is tyranny of the minority. Can anyone tell me why tyranny of the minority is better than tyranny of the majority? Makes no sense to me. Now, this plays off something I have said repeatedly on this show. Today's QOP, formerly GOP, fully understands that their policies are not supported by a majority of Americans. And because they know they can't win a free and fair election, they are more than willing to defend and champion Donald Trump's authoritarian dictatorial inclinations. And what's this got to do with gun laws? I'll tell you, a majority of Americans support common-sense gun laws, and that includes a majority of NRA members. I have my own list of laws I'd like to see implemented. Licensing for ownership of any firearm. Mandatory liability insurance per gun. Minimum of 21 years of age to purchase a gun. Mandatory and annual safety and skills training and testing. Also, mandatory annual mental health evaluations. Conceal carry only with a permit. No high-capacity mags. Thorough background check with red flags applied, and that, includes any, and that includes any participation in any militia that has been vetted by the ATF and FBI. And finally, a complete and total ban on assault rifles and weapons of war. After Bill Clinton banned assault weapons in 1994, mass shooting deaths dropped by 43%. When the Republican Congress allowed the ban to expire in 2004, they went up by more than 290%. Bottom line, you want the, you want the capacity to kill people? Fine, but it's going to cost you. Because here's the rub. Even though we real-world dwellers are in the majority, we are held hostage by the tyranny of the minority. And I've got a couple stories I'd like to share with you. Now, full disclosure, this is the result of some copious research I did a few years back. And I haven't up updated it of late. But I think you'll get the gist, and I suspect the numbers haven't changed measurably, if at all. Back in 1996, both Australia and Great Britain experienced 
horrific mass shootings. Australia lost 35 people in one shooting, Britain 17 in another. In the immediate aftermath, neither country said, oh, it's too soon to talk about gun control. Instead, both countries implemented common-sense gun laws. And if you add Canada to that list, since 1996, those three countries combined have had a grand total of 10 mass shootings with 52 dead. 10 mass shootings in 27 years, 52 dead. We lost 58 here in Las Vegas in a matter of minutes and thus far have still done virtually nothing. Australia first. The shooter's name was Martin Bryant. Ironically, Bryant was born in Newtown, not Connecticut, but rather Newtown, Australia. One day in April of 1996, Bryant, then 29 years old, left his home with a 30 caliber handgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, an AR-10 semi-automatic rifle, and wait for it, an AR-15. He drove to a popular tourist spot in Port Arthur. He walked into a cafe and in less than 30 seconds shot and killed 12 people and wounded 10 others. He then went into a gift shop and killed 16 more people. Total time lapse, less than two minutes. 20 dead. Before he was finished, he had shot and killed 35 people and wounded 24. Australia did not respond by saying, Oh, it's too soon to talk about gun legislation. The majority was not held hostage by the minority. Just 12 days after these horrific murders and the public outcry it launched, Australia's government responded. And did you catch that? The public outcry the shooting launched. Here in America, the majority public outcry doesn't matter. Instead, the minority outcry of, Oh, you're taking my guns, and it's too soon to talk about it, wins the day every damn time. But in Australia, in 1996, their government responded by announcing a bipartisan deal to enact common-sense gun control measures. All states subscribed to what they called the National Firearms Agreement. They implemented a ban on all semi-automatic rifles, all semi-automatic and pump-action shotguns, and a restrictive system of licensing and ownership controls. Other changes included a 10-round magazine capacity and a caliber limit on handguns. They also had held gun buyback programs, and the number of weapons turned in far exceeded government's predicted amount. Since these laws were passed 27 years ago, there has not been one mass shooting in Australia— and overall gun violence has decreased by 50%. Suicides by firearms fell significantly as well, dropping 50% in just two years. Now that is the action of an exceptional nation. Are Australians still allowed to go own guns? Yes, they are. But the bottom line, one Newtown-related mass shooting involved an AR-15 weapon of war. Australia said, enough. But after another Newtown-related mass shooting in this country in Connecticut and another AR-15 weapon of war was used, this country did nothing.
Now let's go back to one month before the Port Arthur, Australian massacre, still in 1996. This time, the United Kingdom, Stirling, Scotland. On Wednesday, March 13th, again 1996, Thomas Hamilton left his home and drove five miles to the Dunblane Primary School with two rifles and four handguns. He entered the school, and before he took his own life, and in a time span of between three and four minutes, he shot and killed 16 children and one teacher. After that Dunblane massacre, Britain did not respond by saying, Oh, it's too soon to talk about gun legislation. Then the conservative government of John Major introduced the Firearms Amendment Act of 1997. Following the 1997 general election, the Labor government of Tony Blair introduced the Firearms Amendment Act Number no. 2 of 1997. The United Kingdom is one of the lowest rates of gun homicide in the world. Are the British still allowed to own guns? Yes, they are. But they have 50 to 60 gun deaths per year in Britain, while we have approximately 100 per day. Bottom line, 16 children shot to death in the school in the United Kingdom. Great Britain said, enough. But after another school massacre in which 20 children aged 6 and 7 plus 7 adults were killed in one day in Newtown, Connecticut, this country did nothing. Consider this. If the problem is too many gangs on the street, who in their right mind says, well, the solution is more gangs? If the problem is too many drugs on the street, no one but a certified idiot says the solution is more drugs. But when the problem is clearly and incontrovertibly too many damn guns on the street, only here in America is the solution more guns. More guns will make us safer. Really? We have more guns in this country than people. If more guns made us safer, we'd already be the safest country in the world with the least amount of mass shootings. But we're not. Not by a long shot. And while I have grown weary of debunking all the pathetic and pitiable excuses the rabid right comes up with to thwart the passage of any common-sense gun laws, I am only too happy when the moment calls to once again destroy them all one by one. You're welcome. Number one, the Second Amendment, which I would remind you begins with these four words, quote, a well-regulated militia, end quote. A, you're not a militia, so you're getting a pass on that. B, the Second Amendment was written when the only weapon available was a single-shot musket, and you were allowed to have all of one gun. If the founders wanted those guns to be regulated, what do you think they would say about today's weapons of war, which they never could have envisioned? And C, I would urge you to recall the words of the former conservative chief justice of the Supreme Court, Warren Burger, who was nominated by a Republican president, Richard Nixon. Prior to that, he was Republican president Dwight Eisenhower's assistant attorney general. This is what Berger said back in 1991, 32 years ago. 
if I were writing the Bill of Rights now, there wouldn't be any such thing as the Second Amendment. That uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of the state, the people's rights to bear arms. This has been the subject of one of the greatest pieces of fraud, I repeat the word fraud, on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. Now just look at those words. There are only three lines to that amendment. A well-regulated militia. If the militia, which was going to be the state army, was going to be well-regulated, why shouldn't 16 and 17 and 18 or any other age persons be regulated in the use of arms the way an automobile is regulated? Bingo. The gun lobby's interpretation of the Second Amendment is one of the greatest pieces of fraud on the American people by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. End quote. And that was from a conservative chief justice of the Supreme Court. And most legitimate scholars of that period and today, those who consider the social and political context of the constitutional era, say the Second Amendment was not meant to protect an individual's right to a gun. The well-regulated militia referred to a citizen army composed of men trained and prepared to act together in coordination for common defense. The overwhelming focus of debate whenever guns were invoked was about military. It wasn't about hunting, and it wasn't about self-defense. In short, the Second Amendment's intent has been historically misinterpreted and bastardized. And remember, like we say frequently, no constitutional right is absolute. You can't yell fire in a theater. You can't yell bomb in an airport. You can't defame people. But if you want to go by the letter of the Constitution, fine. We'll let you have a single-shot musket. That is, if we give you an unwarranted pass on the militia bit, too. And does anyone know how long the NRA has been telling Americans that Democrats are going to take their guns away? It was 1975. In the years since, the number of guns in America has gone from 95 million to 400 million. Bottom line, the NRA has been selling a lie in order to sell guns. Number two, guns are the problem. Oh, I'm sorry. Guns aren't the problem. People are the problem. Okay, so why exactly would we want the problem to be armed with a weapon of war? Similarly, shovels don't dig holes. People do. But answer me this. How many holes are you going to dig without a shovel, huh? Number three, arm the teachers, which has led to stupid comments like this from the equally stupid orangeback gorilla. The teacher would have shot the hell out of him before he knew what happened. Absolute insanity and gold-plated stupidity. And all these good guy with a gun stopping a bad guy with a AR-15 fantasy war games you right-wing nuts envision that you see in movies seldom equate with reality and real-time crises. Like Trump, who had the shameless audacity to proclaim he'd run into a school in the middle of a shooting even without a gun. Pfft. 
Many of these people have never seen combat, combat and would pee their pants if they ever had to face someone who had an assault weapon or any gun for that matter. Even when a trained SWAT team shows up at the scene of a shooting, they don't immediately run into the building. They assess what's going on and try to learn exactly what they're confronting. For all they know, there are multiple shooters. Perhaps one of them has hostages. Maybe one of them has a bomb that could take out half a wing of the school, killing hundreds. And yet, yet, you're expecting someone whose main job is to teach to immediately become all okay corral and start running towards gunshots, not knowing how many shooters there are or what kind of weaponry they have? Really? We've heard of police officers who have trained for years who were reluctant to rush into a building while a mass shooting is underway. And you're expecting a teacher who trains for, what, a few weeks? They're going to suddenly become Wyatt Earp, go all tombstone, and take out a shooter or shooters? Really? How stupid do you have to be to buy into this arm-the-teachers garbage? Shannon Watts is one of this country's most influential gun safety activists. The day after the Sandy Hook shooting, she started what would become the group Moms Demand Action, on her Facebook page. It grew into a grassroots movement after volunteers contacted Shannon about forming Moms Demand Action chapters in their own communities. Moms Demand Action now has chapters in every state and millions upon millions of supporters nationwide. For over eight years, Moms Demand Action volunteers have stopped the NRA's priority legislation in state houses more than 90% of the time, and they've helped pass hundreds of gun safety laws across the country. They have changed corporate policies, and they have educated Americans about secure gun storage. And get this, in the 2022 election, 140 Moms Demand Action volunteers were elected to public office. Nicely done, Shannon Watts. In in terms of arming teachers, this is the most asinine, morally bankrupt idea in the history of ideas. Even police who are highly trained are able to shoot a moving target less than 30% of the time. And we are somehow going to turn teachers into sharpshooters. It's so bizarre. I can't even believe we're discussing it. I know, huh? Asinine and morally bankrupt. Unless, of course, you're seven. And speaking of which... The teacher would have shot the hell out of him before he knew what happened. Yes, Donald Trump is asinine and morally bankrupt in human form. And what do I always say? Those who support Trump... Most of them, many of them, they're just as bad as he is. And judging by that response to that naive, childish, simplistic, and frankly stupid remark, we can now assume they're just as stupid as he is as well. I mean, for God's sake, Ronald Reagan was surrounded by armed Secret Service agents when he was shot. Gee, if only there'd been an armed math teacher there to protect him. Chris Kyle, the American sniper, was the most prolific marksman this nation has ever seen. He was literally holding a gun in his hands when he was shot and killed. 
So we have to train our teachers to be not only better than our cops, but also better than our most skilled and proficient military sniper? Really? Here's Mark Barton, who lost his son at the Sandy Hook shooting, talking about his wife, who's a teacher. And my heart absolutely breaks for the families of Parkland. Um, I have a sense of what you are going through now. This is my son, Daniel. He was seven years old when he was shot to death in his first grade classroom in Sandy Hook Elementary School. My wife, Jackie, could not be here today because she's a school teacher and she takes that job seriously and sent me as the ambassador. Jackie is a career educator and she will tell you she has spent over a decade in the Bronx. And she will tell you that school teachers have more than enough responsibilities right now than to have to have the awesome responsibility of lethal force to take a life. And how can you listen to a grieving parent like that who has lost their child in a mass school shooting? How can you listen to him and think that the only solution or the best solution is to offer thoughts and prayers? Take them and shove them where the sun doesn't shine. But Barden was absolutely right. Public school teachers are already educators, mentors, therapists, babysitters, writers, editors, and motivational speakers. They have enough jobs. They wear enough hats. We cannot force them to become soldiers, too. I have read in the past many statements from educators on social media who state clearly that they would quit the profession they love if they were forced to carry guns in school, which suits the QOP just fine. The biggest danger they face is an educated populace that lives outside the right-wing propaganda-hate media bubble and echo chamber and patronizes reliable sources for their news and not state-run propaganda entities. The whole idea of arming teachers is just another example of what has become too common in this country, a reactive response to the problem of there being too many guns, guns in this country. What this country needs is a proactive response, as in lessen the number of guns. Here's Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel after the Parkland, Florida shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. But at the end of the day, the rights of our children must be first and foremost. We need to protect our kids. Our kids go to uh, places like schools and libraries with book bags and pencils. And we need to do what's in the best interest of our children. And lawmakers got to change the way they do things. The same old, same old just ain't working. We need less guns in America, not more guns in America. You know, I, I feel strongly about that. And uh, everybody has their opinion, but, yeah. but I have mine. And I don't know how many people with their opinions went into a school yesterday and and so 17 dead oh. people. Yep. So how about it, QOP? You're going to back the blue now? Didn't think so. What a complete joke you all are. <clears throat> Number four, it's too soon to talk about gun policy, which, of course, gun nuts say in the immediate aftermath of any shooting. You know, unless, of course, a black man is a shooter. That is both a crock and a dodge and would only have credibility if the right ever took up the conversation at some later point. But they never do. They don't want to talk about it now, later, or ever. 
nor do they want any changes. They just wait for the shooting to fade from the headlines, and it's back to business as usual. You know, Hunter Biden. My response to that is, okay, if it's too soon to talk about this shooting in Maine, can we talk about the shooting before this one, or the one before that, or the one before that? And if you want a shorter response, you can just say, really? Is it too soon to talk about Sandy Hook? That happened 11 years ago. Or how about Columbine? Can we discuss that? That happened 24 years ago in 1999. And of course, an offshoot of this it's too soon excuse is the accusation that Democrats are politicizing the issue. Here's the Canadian senator from Texas, Rafael Eduardo Cruz. He calls himself Ted, so he doesn't sound too Mexican-y. Well, look, of course you're right that the reaction of Democrats to any tragedy is to try to politicize it. So they immediately start start calling that we've got to take away the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. That's, that's, that's not the right answer. <clears throat> and of course, he, <coughs> I was talking to Justin, and of course, Cruz is lying. Why? Because he's a liar and a proven one, but B, he's a Republican. And seriously, how can you believe anything the son of the man who killed JFK says? As for liberals politicizing a mass shooting, you're damn right I'm going to politicize them. Because the reason these mass shootings keep happening is politics. In fact, it is nothing but politics. Sorry for using dead children to advance my controversial political agenda of wanting fewer dead children. My bad. And isn't it, isn't it ironic slash hypocritical? The NRA protests waiting periods to buy guns, but after a mass shooting, they demand a waiting period before we can discuss the shooting. And what's also ironic, mass shootings are one of the few crimes whereupon you don't have to search for a smoking gun. In mass shootings, the smoking gun is the smoking gun. And yet no one says, aha, we finally have the smoking gun. Let's wrap this issue up and put it to bed. Oh, no. Instead, it's too soon to talk about it. I'll tell you who doesn't think the immediate aftermath of a mass shooting is too soon to talk about it. The people who were either at the shooting and survived and their family members and friends or the family members and friends of those who were shot to death. And here's the 800-pound elephant in the middle of the room. This is not a school shooting issue. This is a societal issue. A teacher with a gun wouldn't have saved those who were shot here in Las Vegas at a concert. A teacher with a gun wouldn't have saved those at Pulse in Orlando, a nightclub. A teacher with a gun wouldn't have saved those who were shot at Sutherland Springs in a church, or those in Aurora in a theater, or Trayvon Martin in a neighborhood, or former Democratic Congresswoman Gabby Giffords in a parking lot, etc., 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 so not so arming teachers isn't only a stupid and dangerous idea, it doesn't even come close to addressing the overall issue, namely that there's too many damn guns on the streets, period. Then Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, made the same point right after he made an equal salient point. Even the definition of the issue is absurd. 
And what this administration is very good at doing is uh, they define the issue in such absurd terms, and then we engage on that absurd level. The problem is uh, school safety, so we should arm teachers. And then we get into a discussion of how absurd that concept is, arming teachers. I'm not going to fall for the trap. They misdefine the problem. The problem is not school shootings. The problem is school shootings and shootings in malls and shootings in, in nightclubs and shootings in concert halls. It is a societal problem. Yep. Great minds, Andrew. Great minds. Number five, people use cars to kill kill people. Should we ban cars too? The answer is, for you, yes. You should not have a gun or a car, and you should never be allowed to vote or procreate either, if you're that stupid. Cars aren't made for the sole people of killing as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time. Secondly, driving a car is heavily regulated. You have to take tests, both written and driven. You have to have a license. You have to renew that license periodically. You have to have good eyesight, which is also checked periodically. You have to have your car checked each year. You also have to have insurance. You have to drive at certain speeds. You have to wear, wear seatbelts. Mucho regulations. And yet nobody says squat. But when it comes to gun regulation, and you mention just one, they scream like stuck pigs. If you suggest even common sense regulations that have worked in every country that's implemented them. Why? Because the people who claim to love this country don't. Worse, they don't trust it. And somehow they think their puny gun collection will protect them from it. Idiots. Number six, it's not a gun problem, it's a mental illness problem. And I, I noticed last night, I turned over to Fox Noise, and once they'd identified the shooter, his last name was Card, they couldn't wait to put on the Chiron at the bottom of the screen that Card had reported mental health issues. Yeah, every one of our peer nations who suffer, have people who suffer from mental illness, what they don't have are mass shootings. Every country in the world has people who suffer from mental illness. What is so difficult to understand about that? But what they don't have are mass shootings. Mass shootings are a uniquely American thing. We now hear from Nicole Hockley, who lost her son in the Sandy Hook shooting. She attended what Trump called his listening session after the Parkland shooting. Remember, that was the time when Trump had to be given notes that advised him what to say. Meanwhile, an erstwhile photographer took a photo of his notes. One piece of advice that his notes contained was, quote, I hear you, end quote. Not surprising, as Trump like, likes to hear himself talk far more than he likes listening to someone else speak. And guess what he promoted at this listening session? Yep, arming teachers. Nicole Hockley offered this very salient and convenient forgotten point. 
One point on the mental health um, issue, and I think it's important to note that someone with a, a mental illness is highly unlikely to ever commit an act of violence. It's a very, very small percentage. What we're really dealing here is, a, is more with a lack of mental wellness. This is around anger and fear. And that's, that's not something that you can diagnose and put in mental health hospitals. This is more about funding for mental health services. And she's right. The best numbers and best statistics suggest that no more than 4 to 5% of mass shooters are mentally ill, as defined by criteria in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is a professional psycho- psychologist handbook, also known as the DSM. M slash V. So it would appear writing mass shootings off to nothing but a mental illness is just another lazy and simplistic distraction to avoid discussing the real problem, too many damn guns. And I gotta admit, I've been guilty of this myself, albeit for different reasons. Number seven, and I'm gonna lump these next ones together. The problem is bad parents, single parents, violent video games and movies, psychotropic drugs, not enough God in the country. Really, every civilized, westernized, industrialized nation has their fair share of these problems. All of them. Every single one of them. What they do not have are mass shootings. Number eight. Only the bad guys will have guns. And yet, Every other country that has implemented these common-sense gun laws prove this excuse to be the fallacy it is. Why? Because they still have bad guys. But they don't have mass shootings. So it appears that at some point, and it doesn't happen overnight, but at some point, the bad guys don't have guns. Number nine, what law would have prevented this shooting? When someone asks this question, my stock response is the same laws that were passed in Canada, Great Britain, Australia, Israel, Japan, etc. And by the way, this response works for all the rights excuses. If they say, well, if you pass gun control laws, only the bad guys will have guns. You can respond, yes, except in the aforementioned countries that have implemented common sense gun laws. It works for every excuse slash lie they have. If they say gun laws won't prevent mass shootings, you can say, except in the aforementioned countries that have implemented common-sense gun laws. It's an all-purpose comeback, folks. Use it. And if they say, what about my rights? My response has always been, your rights don't supersede the rights of six- and seven-year-olds or teenagers in high school or anybody's right to live. And speaking of our peer nations, I mentioned Japan and Israel earlier. Let's look at Japan. Japan is a country of of more than 127 million people, but it rarely sees more than 10 gun deaths a year. Why? Culture's one reason, but gun control is a major one. And the Japanese people are still allowed to own guns, just as they are in Great Britain, Australia, Canada, and Israel. However, here's the deal. If the Japanese people want to own a gun, they have to attend an all-day class, pass a written test, and achieve at least 95% accuracy during a shooting range test. 
Then they have to pass a mental health evaluation, which takes place at a hospital. Then they have to pass a background check in which the government digs into their criminal record and does extensive interviews. And every three years, they have to retake the class and the initial exam. Sounds ridiculous, right? Yeah, and so does their 10 gun deaths a year compared to our 30,000. And then there's Israel, a country whose government you would think want every citizen to be armed. Gun laws in Israel are comprehensive despite soldiers being allowed to carry their service weapons on or off duty. Civilians, however, must obtain a firearms license to lawfully acquire, possess, or sell, or transfer firearms and ammunition. Firearms license applicants must have been a resident of Israel for at least three consecutive years, pass a background check, which includes criminal health and mental history, and here's the kicker. They must establish a genuine reason for possessing a firearm and pass a weapons training course. Around 40% of the applicants for firearms permits are rejected. Those holding firearms licenses must renew them and pass a shooting course every three years. Security guards have to pass these tests. They have to renew their license to carry firearms as well. Applicants must demonstrate that they have a safe at their residence in which to keep the firearm. Permits are given only for personal use and holders for self-defense purposes may only own one handgun and purchase an annual supply of 50 cartridges. And that is in Israel. Now, having said all that, I would like to conclude my dissertation on our deranged gun culture with a collage I put together a few years back. And yes, it was inspired by yet another mass shooting. And at this point, I don't even remember which mass shooting it was. Now, this collage, which features some incredible singers, is based on one particular song, which was originally an anti-war song. But I, th I think it works just as well for mass shootings, because when you think about it, war was the original mass shooting. Here it is. I like guns, I like the way they look I like the shiny steel and the polished wood I don't care if they're big or small They're for sale, hell I want them all I like guns, I like guns, I like guns Must a man look up before he can see the sky? How many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? How many deaths will it take till he knows that too many Take to 
That's it, folks. That's all I got for today. If you would like to call in to wrap up the show, that's fine. If not, we're going to call it a day and take off. You want to chat? 221-7283 is the number. That's 702 area code 221-7283. If you have any comments on what I have for years called our demented gun culture in this country, I'd love to hear it. Again, 702-221-SAVE. Justin, is the music on? Well, go ahead and start it. <laughs> because I i mean, I have more sound bites I want to play, but after that collage, I don't want to do anything else. I want that to be the last thing you hear in my gun dissertation, other than the closing music, which I'm going to have Justin play now. And if you don't want to chat, that's fine. We'll pick it up tomorrow. And I'm out of here now. Folks, I appreciate you listening. I hope we've been able to maybe, possibly, perhaps change one person's view about our gun culture situation in this country, which is deranged at best. I hope we've been able to change one person's mind to hopefully love their country more and their country's children more than their guns and their Second Amendment, which a Chief Supreme Court Justice said was the biggest fraud ever perpetrated on the American people. If we've been able to change one person's mind, then it's been worth it. If not, it still needs to be done, because you never know. You might change your mind tomorrow. I appreciate it, folks. We'll do this all over again tomorrow, hopefully with you. Until then, take care.